0: Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On today's podcast, I have Jory Micah. She is a faith-based activist for the poor and oppressed and a leader in the leftist political Twitter community. She has an MA in Christian Doctrine and History and uses her knowledge to help others understand how religion and politics intersect. She has been married to her Californian husband for 15 years, and together they live with their six-pound fur baby in Jory's hometown of western Pennsylvania. You can find out more about Jory on her Twitter handle or website jorymica.com. On this episode of the podcast, we had a marathon discussion about religion, politics, the two-party system, revolution, and liberation theology. We also discussed the environmental crisis, animal rights, the capitalist politico-economic system, as well as corporate control and domination over society. Unfortunately, we had a lost podcast in the middle, where 40 or so minutes of our best discussion was never recorded. I just want to be transparent, and I really appreciate her time and patience and apologize for the technical issue we had. Thanks for listening to the show. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. Activist for the poor and the oppressed political leftist and pennsylvanian my old stomping grounds of pennsylvania welcome to the podcast
1: thank you mc square so proud to be here
0: (laughs) so uh we we talked about a lot of things on the pre-show um i kind of want to get into it with some uh just general questions i mean what what got you into politics? What motivates you? What's your influences? What do you want to accomplish here on your short time on earth?
1: Um, honestly, what I, I went to school for ministry. That's really what I wanted to do with my life. But I ended up realizing how political the church is. Um, and that started with me feeling extremely excluded and left out um, for being a woman in ministry. So that's kind of where I started doing that.
0: What role has uh, religion had in your life? Was it something, has it, has it been an important part of your life from the very yeah. beginning? I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, I was born into um, a Christian family. My dad was a minister um, and a, a praise and worship leader, um, born into Pentecostalism. <laughs> Not as strict as, like, you know, some Pentecostals with the buns and things. You know, we were more, like, just, like, the charismatic side of things. Um, but then I started realizing how political things were at first. It was it was because I was a woman. I felt left out. And then when my entire um, church, the evangelical church, voted for Trump in 2016, it just, like, threw me for a loop. Because it was like Trump is like the opposite of everything that evangelicals taught us our whole lives, particularly with the whole purity culture stuff. So uh, we grew up in the evangelicalism where like you were not supposed to have sex before you were married, like you're not supposed to look at porn, like you're like supposed to live this extremely strict life. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have all of our leaders almost joining together to tell to, to persuade the entire evangelical movement um to vote for Trump, and so they're a big reason why Trump won, and you know now I understand a little more like why they hated Hillary Clinton so much, you know because I didn't understand how bad the Democrats were back then either, so anyway, I just that was the beginning of me really getting into politics. Like it really woke me up. Like the Trump election,
0: like, the election of, uh, when did he get elected? I guess that was, uh, was it 2018, yeah. 2020, something like that. that was
1: 2020.
0: 2020.
1: Was that 2020? No, that was Biden was 2020. Oh, right,
0: Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's Trump- next year, the 2024.
0: 20. So Trump was 2016 to 2020 in office. So the 2016 election, that's when you, uh, Felt radicalized, or that's when you really started getting into politics?
1: Yeah. Like, I was always a little into it. I'm like, my husband went to school for government, and um, I was always, like, really inspired and interested in in social politics. But I don't think that I was really, like, like I I, he, I wasn't awake, like what I would call. And, you know, I know that there's, like, there's the woke crowd now, and then there's the awake crowd, you know, and I... I wasn't awake yet and that awakened me like Trump really is like he's such like a wild card like he's like that was kind of one good purpose for him at least he awakened a lot of people because he's so terrible he awakened a lot of people like holy crap what is going on in our government that this person you know was able to to get in there at all you know and so that woke that woke me up but but for me coming from a background that that put so much pressure on me as a kid um and a teenager to be basically perfectly pure and and always but particularly sexually and then you see the whole evangelical movement get behind this guy that you know grab him by the pussy guy right um, you know and, and it, it, Trump is obviously a womanizer. He's probably a rapist. Like there's all kinds of things. You know, he's he's not a good person at all and he he reflected the exact opposite of everything I was ever taught by the people that pushed him in there, that got it, that pushed him over the edge, you know? So, that really woke me up and then I became a democrat from that point on. Um What do you think you were
0: before then? How would you describe your political beliefs prior to 2016?
1: I turned into republicanism. Like, because I I was born into evangelicalism. So I was probably a Republican, but I was was not into it at all.
0: What do you think um, Republicanism, maybe the platform, their ideology, what do you think it stands for? Uh, To me, I I don't think it stands for anything than subservience to big business, to wealth and power, and maybe uh, pretending to be religious to steal elections and come out uh, against abortion. That's really the only the only platform I see for the Republicans and Republicanism uh, in the United States. What do, you, what do you see for it? Maybe prior to your radicalization, what would it, what did it mean to you?
1: Well, I think that, that, that a lot of conservatives, mm-hmm. they want limited government and, but it's just a facade because they never say we want to cut defund on the military. We want to defund the police. You know, it's always, they want to defund the social programs that actually right. help the working class and the poor. You know, so that's kind of, I kind of feel like even their pro-life stance is a facade because, because A, a lot of women are gonna die because they're gonna get bad backstreet abortions. If you make it illegal, women will still get abortions at the exact same rate. It's just that this time it will be unsafe. So they don't care at all if the woman dies. They don't care at all if she gets arrested and goes to prison for having an abortion, you know, like I personally don't believe I would have an abortion because I don't, for me personally, I don't think I would feel comfortable with that, but I want it to be a safe thing for women. I want it to be, I want women to have the choice because there are circumstances where, you know, an abortion has to happen. And the more you make it illegal, the more women are going to, st- the next thing will be birth control, you know, like the next thing they'll try to make illegal is birth control, and then those and they're already trying things. to do
0: that in some states, I, th-
1: I think. Things, like, they're much like handmaiden's tail. The, the, that's, that's how I say Republicans' platform is like the handmaiden's tail, and Democrats' platform is like the Hunger Games. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Yeah, like I think that if we keep going towards this, you know, this anti-feminism almost, you know, like, it's going to get to the point where they just continuously will take more and more choices away from women. And I think that is truly the ultimate goal, you know, and and so that is a big reason why I'm no longer a Republican, because the sexism is so intertwined. Um, And and a lot of them are not even trying to hide it, you know, like, especially in the uh, evangelical world, like, they aren't even trying to hide their sexism at all. You know, they're very cruel to women. And in fact, I'm treated way kinder by leftists who are atheists and agnostics um, than I ever was treated when I was hanging around evangelicals. So, you know, I, I have a hard time believing a lot of these people are even Christians because obviously the Christian faith is about, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, so I, I don't think the Republicans really are a Chris, real Christian platform at all. Um, I, I think, they, think they, pretend the,
0: they, they pretend to be religious to pick up votes. I think something like basically about half the country doesn't even vote, take the time to vote in elections. I mean, it, it kind of goes up and down a little bit, but give or take half the country doesn't even vote uh, in elections. They don't think it's worth their time. It's basically a circus, a sideshow, that sort of thing. And then of the people that vote, The Republicans have found out that they can pretend to be religious and pick up about 30% of the vote just by pretending to be religious and saying they oppose abortion in any circumstance and people will vote for them. So they've kind of – that's their little platform and then it's always a contest between how can – yeah, the Democrats and the Republicans win the election with the rest of the electorate remaining. That's the way I see it.
1: Yeah. And I was, I was thinking the way that the Republicans kind of fake being cr- religious is the same exact way that the Dems fake caring about Black people, or
0: working class people, or, or everyone, class
1: people, yeah. or, or or anyone, or women, or LGBTQ people. So that's that's you the problem.
0: When- the, the Republicans. Are, they make no mistake about what their platform is about. I think it's a pro-business party. I mean, we ha- we have basically one party in the United States. It's the business party. It's the capitalist party, whatever you want to call it. I think there's basically usually centrist, somewhere you know, the Washington consensus, those types of people like Obama, like Biden. Trump's a bit of a wild card. We can. I don't really want to spend too much time on Trump. I'm more of an issues voter. I think is. I think so. A lot of what people in the media try to do is to try to distract us with. Um, Personal failings, um, shortcomings, personality deficits in our leaders. I'm more. Sh- mm-hmm. I'm not. Le- I'm not as concerned about that. I'm more so concerned about with what the issues. If we start talking about the sex lives of politicians, we already know they're trying to put something else past us, you know. And that's that's the policies. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's where I am. I'm, I'm more and uh, I'm, I'm more important on issues, you know. I mean, if Trump was getting in there and saying, I know he's a con man, but if he was like, you know, universal health care, Medicare for all, cancel student debt. And he was going up against Biden, who's going to have the same platform. I guess I would probably vote Trump, you know. I mean, I'm more about the issues than the personal failings of, of the politicians. I think when we talk start talking about their personal life and their personalities, already something else is going on behind the scenes, you know what I mean. We see more and more of our leaders, but we know less and less of what they're doing behind the scenes. And I think that's a big problem. That's because we don't have a free press in the United States. I mean, these right. issues aren't talked about much, you know.
1: Correct. The the revolution will not be televised.
0: <laughs> I like to talk about revolution too. You t- he had mentioned the Republican platform, uh, or or so called on limited government, but of course we know that's not true. They are um, very much into um, you know expanding the military industrial complex. Um, you know, a party of war. I mean, obviously it seems like both parties are, <laughs> are made up of war mongers that are at least led by war mongers. But the Republican yep. Party does not. ...about limited government. It's to cut social programs, to cut social spending. They've run up these deficits... And then weaponize it as a as a tactic uh, to prevent social spending on things that actually matter to people, like uh, Medicare and Social Security and public education and college and you know uh, food for the food for the poor and maybe you know homeless shelters or for, you know for houseless people that sort of stuff. There's always though in the Republican Party more money for jails, cops, bombs, guns, and yeah. the military. So that's not limited government. That's just maintaining the really rep- repressive elements of government make sure that people stay in line and they use force to do it
1: that's right yeah and I, I love how like the the republicans or some of them are at least being forced now to to look at the police state because it's backfiring on the in, in the entire country now you know of course yeah, the republicans
0: you know, are starting to outflank democrats from the left that's how bad it's gotten right
1: it's, seriously they really are <laughs> I, think, I honestly think Republicans are closer to getting it, what's really going on here, than a lot of Democrats are. Yeah,
0: sometimes I listen to some of the, like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, when she had <laughs> mentioned something about uh, abolish the FBI, which is what I see as the political police. The, the FBI is only around to make sure uh, to stop any you know political movements or to try to yes. at least survey and that sort of thing. So a lot of times they get it. They're like, you know, they're on to it, you know, but it's only to benefit them. They only say those types of things when uh, the FBI is going after their guy. They're completely happy when the FBI and the police are beating up leftists at political rallies across the country. That's fine. But the only time they turn... Is when they're the ones, you know, uh, under the under the boot uh, of of the cops and the police in this country, and that's the only time they're okay with it. So that's that's obviously um, not not okay with me. In principle, you know, I, I, that's what I'm trying to find is like in principle how I want to. I, I consider myself kind of a classical conservatist. I'm, I'm a radical leftist, but I'm conservative in that I I have. Uh, beliefs for human rights, you know, and right. freedoms, and I will not change those beliefs no matter what. It doesn't matter, if, even free speech. It doesn't matter if it's a Republican, a Democrat, a far right, or a far leftist person. I have the same views for freedom, justice, equality, uh, even free speech, for all those things. I think that right. in terms of free speech, you don't believe in free speech unless you believe that your political opponent and maybe even the enemy uh, are entitled to the same free speech. Um,
1: 100%. You know, yeah. 100%. Yeah.
0: So let's get back to um, religion a little bit. What is what, – would you say – would you categorize yourself or describe yourself as an evangelical and, and maybe talk about.
1: No, I, I pretty much have left evangelicalism and I I actually have left going to church um, for probably like the past several years uh, because, of, again, there's there was a lot of hurt there and I needed to heal from a lot of the, the woundings of, of the church. So um with that said I still I studied in seminary I studied the New Testament I studied the life of Christ I walked I went to Rome I walked the footsteps of the apostle Paul like um I've I've been really into it like my whole life so I really like love the like the narrative and and character of Jesus like even if people don't believe in him even if people don't believe in the resurrection even if people don't believe that he's the son of God, like you can't say that his character's not pretty awesome when it comes to calling out the rich. And sure. Um, so I mean, it, it, it's I'm a lovely. philosopher,
0: and as a philosopher, JC said some awesome things that I'm all about. You know, I'm not a Christian, I'm not very religious, I'm agnostic, but as just as a philosopher, you got to read some of the JC stuff, right? It was great stuff.
1: Right, like that's kind of like a, you know a message I I have for people is like don't hate Jesus because the church sucks so bad because Jesus called out religious people. Like that was why he got killed. You know, he, the state killed him because religious people had enough of, of what he was saying.
0: I think the state killed him because he was kind of rallying up the poor. You know, he was talking about
1: oh, the oppressed people. Right. Religion. And I believe that, that, re- that the revolution that Jesus was starting is still the same revolution that we're having today. Right. And that what MLK talked about
0: and that, you know, all the. Yeah, it's still going on. I mean, I've read a lot of history. I think history of mankind is a history of class oppression and exploitation of working class people around the globe. I don't think that narrative has changed And all the history I've read. Um, the thing about it is like, I like Howard Zinn. And maybe leftist. Uh, There's there's some uh, there's a tons of other leftist authors. I mean, I'm a big Chomsky head. I I read a lot of Noam Chomsky. You know, he's uh, his style of writing is a little bit different. He talks about philosophy, cognitive science, history, politics, and all wrapped in one. Also, the most famous linguist of all time. But I like reading left leaning. You know, authors and that sort of thing about history. But the majority of the things you read. History is usually written by the ruling class, you know, the intellectuals that dominate society. And uh, subservience to power is usually rewarded with great privilege, whether that's wealth or prestige in society. And dissidents are usually oppressed and punished, people that oppose the status quo. So people like Galileo, you know, they were oppressed by the church, and I think he ended his life – because he was saying some things that the religious establishment didn 't like, and he was he ended his life um, I think it was uh, under house arrest, and uh, Copernicus was an enemy so i 'm big into science as well, science and philosophy. Copernicus right. with his model uh, of the universe that the, the 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 church at the time the establishment the dogma was the, the center of the universe is the is the earth you know and and everything else right. moves around it well he said no it's a sun centered you know kind of universe or solar system or whatever and then yeah even going to um, I watched a little bit of the the Oppenheimer movie you know I think he had uh-huh. some socialist or left leaning beliefs you know he was mm-hmm. um, oppressed uh and obviously i mean i think the atomic bomb and i had a podcast on it it was a horrible horrible thing that that changed the world for the worst for sure you know and i think yeah. Truman was a work criminal for dropping it i'm getting a little bit off topic here but um the establishment um you know from jesus onward and all of history you know people that oppose uh the establishment the status quo those people were oppressed okay. While people that are subservient to power are usually rewarded with great privilege. And I, I would definitely throw JC in that category of oppressed people. And I think the revolution has never stopped. It continues. I think the, mo- the fight for democracy always continues on. The, the, the minute we stop fighting for democracy and freedom and equality and justice is the, is the minute we get bulldozed by the right, you know. And sometimes in in, uh, in Palestine, getting bulldozed is literal, you know. I mean, those people are fighting for their lives, their, their freedoms. They really are. Yeah. So, like, here in America, we have great privilege, um, and, you know, speaking truth to power can can have consequences, but it's not so much the same consequences that we might have speaking truth to power in Saudi Arabia. You know, we might get chopped up into pieces, you know, for speaking truth to power. So, I think that it does take some courage, you know, to get on maybe an independent media podcast or whatever, and try to speak truth to power and try to get these ideas out here. But in general, we live in a pretty free country, and we have great privilege here. And there's people around the world that don't have the same privileges that you and I uh, are allowed to have in you know, maybe the the most powerful country in the history of the world, C- certainly one of the richest, most powerful yeah. countries to ever exist. So there's there's some yeah. good things that come with being an American, but we must use our privilege to help others, I think, and that's that's, that's part like of what exactly I want to do. Exactly
1: what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, we we do have a lot of like um, social social rejection, like when we speak out. Like, there's a lot of like, you know, like that's why so many people do hide their identities right. on on Twitter. That's why I'm being of, anonymous yeah.
0: here. I mean, that's why I'm being anonymous. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I don't want to put a face to my ideas. I want them out there. But there's there's cer- certainly
1: there's certainly consequences that you could lose your job if you speak your real truth and that's a real threat like maybe we are not chopped up into pieces thank god but you know the real threat of all my friends are going to hate me my family's going to reject me i'm going to lose my job i'm going to be isolated like i'm going to be alone i'm going to be embarrassed whatever you know those are real threats to the human psyche like in America, I think the war is, is really against the mind, you know, like because we that's why we have so much propaganda. You know, the Americans are the most propagandized people in the no world, no and that's because you got to think of how much, how big our country is, and how big Hollywood is, and how big mainstream media is, and no other country has the ability to propagandize the masses like we do. None, not one.
0: So, and that's one thing that Chomsky had talked about: thought control in democratic societies. So that's yeah. much—that's the manufacturing of consent, and it's much more yeah. prevalent in uh, democratic societies than it might be. Now, I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a. I'm. I guess I'm a communist in, in terms of like I like a narco communism, and we can get into some of the ideologies. But ultimately, I think my political philosophy boils down to anarchism, but I, I don't think that, uh, the Soviet Union was a very good society. I wouldn't want to live in it, you know, but what Chomsky talks about is thought control in democratic societies like the West, like the United States, like Britain. And that's what George Orwell actually wrote a lot about, uh, thought control in, in British society. In fact, the Brits were the first, uh, to develop propaganda, uh, during, I believe, world war one. And, um, you know, the, the United States, uh, kind of took hold of it. And you know who else took hold of it? Nazi Germany. They realized yep. that the uh, the Brits were able to whip up the population into a, a German-hating hysteria, you know, during World what? War One. So what happened the second time around? Uh, Hitler did the same thing. So propaganda is a very, very valuable tool that the ruling class used. But again, it's yeah. much more prevalent in um, democratic societies. And that's because, let's use the Soviet Union, for example, which I've studied a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit, Whatever Stalin says goes, you know, he can put you in a gulag, he can kill you, he can beat you for doing something that he doesn't agree with. And, so, and the same could be done in, in uh, Nazi Germany. But in democratic societies, you know, although the police can be very violent and we are in a state of mass incarceration, the consequences to speaking truth to power, we do have uh, very, very, um, very good, very strong free speech rights in the United States. And I hope to, to keep them and continue to fight for them. But yeah. instead of locking us up or beating us or even killing us, which is, you know, some, sometimes that's the oppression and punishment people in less democratic societies face, especially totalitarian societies. The press used the manufacturing of consent and not just the press, but the ruling class. It's in the academic institutions. It's in Hollywood, yeah. like you alluded to. Um, it's yeah. deep in society. The propaganda is deep and we are deluged with constant propaganda and we are the most... Propagandized society, maybe in the history of the earth, and that's because the state's ability okay, to well, that's because the state's ability to carry out violence against us is limited. So what they do to control us is thought control. What they do right. is to manufacture our consent to control our minds, and it's very, very successful. It's very so. So, mm-hmm. so here's one I was just reading, and I'm doing a podcast on the Iraq uh, War. The second one, of course, we invaded twice; both were war crimes. But um, at one point, after nine eleven. Uh, the the people were so propagandized from the the second Bush administration that they had considered Saddam Hussein an imminent threat. Condoleezza Rice came up and said something about, you know, the next time we're going to see Saddam Hussein, it's going to be after mushroom clouds from him dropping bombs, you know, alluding to maybe maybe American cities. Like, first off, Iraq was a relatively weak country, thousands of miles away. The United right. States does not have any natural enemies. We got oceans on both right. sides. 100%. Canada's not invading anytime soon. Mexico's not invading anytime soon. And, um, and yet the population considered Saddam Hussein, I think, 60%, an imminent threat. And that... Yeah. that that, that was important for them to get that war because uh, if we if hundred percent of the population says this is this is a war crime we should not be invading Iraq there would be no war but the fact that they were able to convince more than half of us that we needed to go in there and do something that's that's why the war was fought they, they whip us into a a frenzy uh, to carry out their international whatever agenda you know, for Iraq's oil rights, obviously. Uh, and to the fact that the, I think almost half the population thought that Iraqis were involved in the 9-11 attacks. That wasn't true. Some Americans even thought that Iraqis were on those planes that hit the World Trade, cen- right. uh, Trade Center. That wasn't true. And they also right. thought that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. That wasn't true. That was all propaganda, and it was very, very successful to get the war in Iraq um, to get it pushed through. And and we did, and we went in there, and we invaded, we conquered, and we stole their oil rights, like we always do in the Middle
1: yeah, East. It, it really does make me sick because it was all. I believe nine eleven was an inside job. I believe it was all to plant fear, like you said, and to be able to get the consent of the people. To start this this war on terror, because I remember when it all happened, it was horrifying. Because they would say, they would show like people getting their heads cut off and things like that, you know. So the Americans are like, "Oh my God, go save those people from those terrorists!" Right. That was not not that they would not that terrorists don't exist, but they made it out to be something that it was far exaggerated so that they could go to war and steal resources of poor people.
0: I, I don't subscribe to the, the theory that, um, a nine 11 was an inside job. I, I do think it was carried out by a terrorist network of loosely affiliated people that did not like America. And I, I think that's how it happened. Um, but I think that, uh, America created these terrorists and actually, in fact, our government and um, state planners and, and things over the years have admitted it. They admit that our drone campaign, you know, and Obama's drone campaign radicalizes people. I mean, when you when you're in a, right. a village in, in some far off place, uh, thousands of miles away from American border and a drone comes in and uh, assassinate someone and kill some innocent villagers. How could you do anything but not hate America, you know, for those sorts of policies and uh, the wars we carry out in the Middle East, which are obviously over oil rights, not about spreading democracy or morality or anything like that. So every time we invade or support a dictator uh, around the world or in the Middle East, um, we carry out drone and assassination campaigns, we're radicalizing people that have friends or family killed because of American foreign policy or bombing and all that sorts of stuff. So I think that um, I don't think of nine 11 was an inside job, but I think American foreign policy and the way that we, you know, go about our business in the world um, created those terrorist cells because.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. But what do you think about um, the FBI coming out and saying that two of the Two of the hijackers were um, CIA recruits.
0: <laughs> I, I don't. I didn't follow it. I, I really didn't get in, into the weeds on nine eleven. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take it for what it is. I think it was carried out by you know a terrorist cell, uh, I guess of ISIS or whatever. I, I really haven't gotten too deep into it. I'm sure there's all types of um, theories and even you know I don't want to say conspiracy theories, but some of them could be conspiracy theories that are not based in oh, fact. Yeah. There could be a lot of information based in fact. It really doesn't interest me all that much. What interests me more is the war in Iraq that we carried out following 9-11, um, you know, right. the, the attack on the World Trade Center towers was terrible, absolutely bad. I don't think anyone would condone it. Thousands of people lost their lives. and you know, yeah. But
1: I also think that what we Let did was escalated that, that violence. Let me make something clear about 9-11 is that I believe people did die that day. You know, I believe that some of the things that were like they said happened did happen. You know, but I just think that, um, you know, yes, that you they had were. Had a
0: role in it, right? That's kind of what you're saying? Had some sort of role?
1: I was, was in on it. And I think that, um, I think it's probably worse than, than we can even imagine, to be honest. But we don't have to go there because I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about that. But I do think that the, the one thing we have to do need to, to remember is that they do create false flags and fake fake you know, um, terror, fake stories. They make up, they do really bad things and then they make up a narrative about it. And it's not real. And and we're letting them control us with fake fear. And that's really like, we gotta, the fear is how they control us and and divide us. So- um, Yeah,
0: divide us, divide and conquer. I, I, uh, I've- yeah, I think fear politics is definitely what the ruling class use to um to uh you know to carry out their policies and agendas and to, you know, to to use fear to divide us and to make make us more acquiescent, you know, and I think that's another thing that we are also kind of drawn to strong leaders, right? Republican leaders. We need right. a hero to come in and save us. We need George You're W. Bush to man. right, right. So let me read this quote here, H.L. Macon. I think I've read it in almost every podcast so far, but it's a great quote. H.L. Macon in 1918, the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed by an endless series of hobgoblins, most of them imaginary. And that's not no different mm, today.
1: A hundred years ago,
0: the same applies, right? Um, yeah, that's what
1: they do. So whether or not, 9-11 was an inside job, whether or not COVID was an inside job. They use those, even if they're completely natural situations and they weren't part of them, they still will use those to create fear so that they can control and divide versus real leaders would try to bring people together, you know, would try to after a crisis. But I, our, our our leaders are, are using crisis after crisis, after crisis to create fear in the population so that they can control and divide us. And I think that a lot of these things, they, they are creating the crisis and it's hard. It's hard to say which ones, you know, and I don't want to. There's a lot of lies,
0: misinformation out there. It's hard to try to separate facts from fiction.
1: Right. I, I told someone, I feel like I'm trying to fight this, this, this war with blindfolds on my eyes because the propaganda—it's like we're swimming in it, you know. So, and I—I'm I not, not hard on conspiracy theorists because I get it. Like in a culture like this where everything is lies, conspiracy theories are completely natural, you know. Like people are gonna—if you don't tell people what's going on, people will just start making up what's going on.
0: And it's a big problem. I mean, it's a big problem—the conspiracy theories and um, you know, the, the lies and the misinformation out there. And, and it radicalizes people And people start to believe this stuff and it could radicalize them to support a, a demagogue or a right wing leader. And that's certainly not what we want on the I left it,
1: because you, you're, you kind of start when you start waking up, at least for me to all what's going on, you kind of like lose your mind a little bit. Like, it, Oh my gosh. Like, cause you're, it's, it's literally going against everything you, So I think like people don't know what to believe anymore. And there are so many conspiracy theorists out there and theories out there that you just, I I understand it is what I'm trying to say. I understand that, that they, um, that there are so many people that believe like kind of wild things because it kind of, it's
0: understandable. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're so propagandized. It's hard to separate fact from fiction. Let me get in here real quick. I want to add a couple of different quotes here. Because uh, this is on the subject of propaganda. First off, Goebbels from uh, the Nazi propaganda ministry of, I don't know, information. I think that's what they called it. Such a propaganda oh. term, ministry of information. Just like the United States, for example. Just like the United States used to be called, um, our, our war department used to be called the Department of War. Well, now it's called the Department of Defense, even though the Department of Defense, as I'm quoting it, is carrying out wars thousands of miles away uh, in countries that are not in any way, um, you know, uh, a threat to us. But anyways, back to Goebbels and the Nazi uh, propaganda campaign. Basically, first off, there's always a little bit of hint of truth in every element of propaganda. Otherwise, it's not believable. But what Goebbels used to say, uh, and I believe it dates back to that, is if you repeat a lie often enough, eventually it becomes truth. And I think that's true even to today. And then let me read my favorite quote from Noam Chomsky. I've read it once and I'll read it again. (laughs) That's the whole point of good propaganda. You want to create a slogan that nobody's going to be against and everybody's going to be for. Nobody knows what it means because it doesn't mean anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty true.
0: (laughs) So that's what I think about propaganda. Talk to me about being radicalized, though. I I, want to get back to this. Uh, You know, you had a certain belief system and obviously Trump, you know, that that was part of it. But what's some ideas that maybe you changed your political beliefs on? What's some things that now, I mean, feminism, and maybe you can describe that a little bit, um, women's rights, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what's yeah, some yeah. other core issues that maybe your political beliefs have changed over the years after your, or since you've been radicalized?
1: Sure. Yeah, well, I'll start with, um, I think um, radicalized can be another name for just like having your own personal awakening to what's really going on in this country and what this country really is about. Right. And, you know, I'd say before Trump, um, I was extremely patriotic, you know, like I'd get all dressed up on 4th of July and, you know, proud to be an American, like just really into it. And then Trump was a small part of it. All he was was like a, 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 a alarm clock that went off and, from that point forward, I realized that that things didn't make sense. Like, why would this? Why is this happening? Things don't make sense, um, and so I started kind of really doing my own research. And I turned off mainstream media. I think that is extremely important.
0: I agree, hundred percent. I I almost read no mainstream press anymore. I mean, it's pointless.
1: Mm-hmm. The only reason I'll look at it is to see what the propaganda is going to,
0: on. To, to, to look through it from a leftist point of view, like, oh, what, what, what kind of garbage are they trying to sell us today? You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: because to counteract it.
0: Right. You got to know your enemy. You must know your enemy first. You must
1: know your enemy. So I, I'd say that I was very conservative before I was like kind of radicalized, I guess. I was very conservative on LGBTQ issues. You know, my my parents were very conservative and like I said I grew up in the thick of what we what's known as the purity culture and um you know the people that took the the biggest hit of that was was the women and the LGBTQ people um you know they they LGBTQ people were literally sent to like conversion therapy and stuff like that you know it was just terrible now that I know about all that it, it horrifies me so um I ended up changing my position on that and realizing that that this isn't a choice that people are people are, are gay or or straight or whatever trans yeah like. their
0: sexual identities doesn't make them bad people you know what I mean if it doesn't affect my life that's how I've always thought I was always a little bit leftist leaning and independent but now I've been right. radicalized where I'm a you know a radical leftist and, and anarcho-syndicalist but I think all along you know and maybe I mean I grew up in a conservative household. But I think even my conservative, and you know, I don't even, we can talk about ideology, but I think even my Republican family members, which is pretty much like 90% of my family, you know, my close family are all Republicans, but I don't necessarily think that they are bad people. And I also don't think that they think that uh, people for whatever their beliefs or skin colors are bad people. You know, there's just some sort of, I don't know. There's just a very strong ideology that, <laughs> that seems to, 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 to surround republicanism in the united states conservatism under quotes in the united states and white supremacy so uh and even you know straight beliefs about sexual identity you know like uh that that sort of thing where marriage is for a man and a woman and children and all that kind of stuff but i think that i don't know that my even people in my family or republicans that i've talked to think that necessarily you know people that are gay or or different skin color or anything like that are bad people you know do you
1: right um, yes, because, you know, you got to figure, I grew up in the fraction of the Republican Party that is like the Mike Pence fraction, you know, like, so, yeah, like, you know, I've, I have heard um, Republicans, Christian Republicans, usually evangelicals, saying the same things my entire life. And like I said, there was a huge focus on sexual purity is what they called it. And so when I saw them vote for Trump I was like this man is the least sexually pure dude write. like ever yeah. <laughs> like, So I was like that was an awakening for me. Like I was like these people don't live by what they teach at all. Yet they'll harp on homosexuality. You know, they'll harp on things like that. Meanwhile they don't they don't live their they don't live even their own presence. They're hypocrites.
0: They say one thing but do another, right?
1: They're they're, they're they're the people JC that-
0: had talked about that oh, JC Tom. had talked about the hypocrites you know you, you shouldn't trust <laughs> yeah. hypocrites or something like that right
1: yeah like that was like Jesus' thing like he called out the hypocrites and I would say the, the Mike Pence and a lot of the evangelicals are hypocrites and I would include Catholicism and in, in that as well that's where we've seen the most sexual abuse in Catholic church and in the Baptist, like the conservative Baptist side of the Of the Evangelical
0: Church. And religion, I mean, I I don't think religion is, it it can be, it's neutral, I think. I think it's neutral, although it can be a very bad thing. It can start wars, it can control people, it can be weaponized. So that's why, ultimately, I've never been all that interested in, in religion. I think I've always been curious uh unsure and now I would describe myself as agnostic like I don't even know what the idea of God is or could mean you know I'm very interested in the universe and and that sort of stuff like the big bang theory and creation and how did we come into existence and was there time before the big bang all these sorts of questions interest me and why I say I'm agnostic is because I don't think that any human being understands how or why the universe was created or if there is a God or what God might even be, you know, like with the universe right. on its, it's insanely large size and scale, that's kind of godlike. I mean, it's almost infinite, you know? So, it is. so I'll ask you the question, uh, what is God? You know, what is, what is God or what do you believe? You know, do you believe yeah. in a higher, a higher power and maybe describe God for me? What do you, what, what, what do you think God is or would be, or, you know, those sorts so of ideas.
1: my views on God have really evolved. I think, um, I believe that God is literally everything, like literally flowing through everything, like an an like an invisible spiritual force that literally flows through everything. And I also believe that like we had to have come from somewhere, so therefore there has to be some kind of source.
0: You know, we
1: had to have. I don't believe that 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 even if there were the was the Big Bang and stuff, I don't somebody had to cause it to happen and so when i look around and i see like you know everything's so creative design like the the, the entire universe is so creatively designed to be able to function almost perfectly. That's uh,
0: teleology, I believe, or something along those lines or ontology. I believe it's ontology. I'm getting, might be, might be getting these terms wrong, but like, if you're looking at a rock formation or, you know, something along those lines, like in nature, you know, it's almost like this was designed for human beings to sit on or something like that. Like, Basically, you're looking at the universe or the world and you're like, I see a purpose for this. There had to be a creator with a purpose in mind. So is that, that that's, that's kind of how you believe? That's kind of how you think?
1: And I believe that 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 the purpose is to learn to love to love it really. I think the purpose is to learn to go to grow and love and become a better person, you know, to become a, um, you know, just. I don't want to say it's about better, becoming a better person just that because I do believe in grace and all that. I do think we all mess up in life, you know, and I do believe in grace and all that. And, and I don't think that, that if there is salvation, I don't think I personally would be able to earn that on my own.
0: What's salvation? What does that mean?
1: Well, to me, I think it means... I mean, I believe in Christ. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead, literally. I believe his miracles were literal, like, you know, every single one of them. Um,
0: Do you think the Bible, do you take it as literal? Was it written by God? And do you, when you read it, do you think it's all literal?
1: I used to very much so, but I've changed my views on that as well. I think it's God's story written by God's people. Therefore, if it's written by humans... (laughs) it has to have some flaws. And I actually think that that builds your faith more because. Yeah, I like that.
0: That's a, that's a good, that's a good way of looking at it. I I think that's pretty cool. It's different. I haven't heard anyone say anything like that before.
1: Right. Um, That's what I'm saying. You're a smart guy. Like you're not going to believe it. If I say the Bible has zero errors and that's going to immediately turn you off to it, you know? So I think it actually builds people's faith more to say, this is, this book was written by humans and humans do error things, but I do think it was inspired by God, you know, and that, that doesn't mean that, you know, I could do a a picture that that's, I feel is inspired really by, by God. Like I really feel that, but it would still have my human touch on it. You know, It would still, and I believe that we are, um, the world taints us. I don't believe we come in sinners and that's another different view. I have, I think that we come in Hmm. innocent.
0: I think most people are good. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, racists are born or xenophobic people are born. I think everyone's born good. I think that we change maybe our beliefs or, you know, we become, I don't, I don't want to say bad people, but we do bad things. Uh, not because that's how we were born and came into this world, but maybe the way we've lived our lives and the culture and the things we've I guess, understand about the world. I think that, I think ultimately people are born good and maybe they can be corrupted by society or whatever, you know?
1: Right. That's exactly what I think. I think that every single person is a child of God. And, but again, like I don't think of God as like a, um, like, you know, like like a man sitting upstairs in a throne, you know, like I, that's the way I used to think of him as an evangelical. And I don't think of him as a him anymore either. And actually I got fired from my first, job teaching theology because i referred to the holy spirit as she instead of he because it's actually correct if you go back to the language the original language the words for holy spirit are actually feminine you know so i was actually doing the correct way and i got fired for that so So. i thought go ahead
0: I want to. So, we talked a little bit about on the pre-call, like genocide and terms like fascism and stuff, and I don't like to throw them out um, lightly, but I do respect someone's opinion on this matter who studied the Bible and religion in general, and that's Noam Chomsky. It's my favorite influence, of, of course, so I'll get back to him. But he had called <clears throat> the Bible, and he doesn't throw out genocide and doesn't even like to, to use the term often, but he had called the Bible the most genocidal book in the literary canon. And again, he doesn't use these terms, you know uh, loosely at all. So, and I think and I've read some other stuff on it that I haven't read a lot of the Bible. I did go to church a little bit when I was younger, but uh, I was never too into religion. I will say that, but there's a lot of hatred, violence, and genocide in the Bible. So what do you think about right.
1: that? Um, again, like I, I think that if, if, you know, God's people were writing human history down today from God's perspective, there's a lot whatever, of that in
0: human history, isn't there?
1: Right. We, there would be constantly be talking about all the wars and, we'd be talking about you know like that it's not
0: maybe it can be looked at bible, as like a history book you know <laughs> maybe maybe the bible can be looked at more of like a history book or a commentary on existence it's, it's, of in society
1: it's a book of history it's a book of poems it's a book of um what are, like stories parables and there's a you know the there's the a book of revelation which is an apocalyptic prophecy So, I mean, there are like all kinds of different things in the Bible. So not everything is um, a prescription. Some things are just prescriptive. Like they're just showing, they're just, I'm sorry, descriptive. Not everything is prescriptive. A lot of things are just descriptive in the Bible. It's just telling you what was going on throughout human history as best as these people can. You know, they didn't have as much. That's why I like to say, things maybe weren't perfect because these were just people that felt like they were God's people and they they were telling a story from what they felt was God's perspective and i mean they were i mean i think we have to face that that they were more barbaric back then in a lot of ways
0: like oh yeah in in, in many ways our society is much better than it was um, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, I mean, we eradicated slavery. Obviously the United States was you know, founded on, that was an important aspect of American culture. Slaves came in and, and, and created lots of wealth and, and white people, um, exploited those slaves and, and had a great lifestyle, uh, because on the backs of slaves, uh, but we eradicated it. So I think it's a lot better society now than it was prior to you know the 1860s or whenever it was um, completely abolished i think there's a lot more freedoms that we have um our government isn't as, as as uh violent certainly as the fascist states in europe in the 1930s um there's a lot more um you know sexual openness in our society and i think that people can identify as different genders and you know there's a kind of a social revolution going on in, in that realm. I don't delve too deep into that kind of stuff, the sexual identity or identity politics or anything like that, but I think it's a fine thing. My, right. my influence and, and my motivation is working class solidarity and class consciousness. So I want to fight back. That's my most important okay. issue and what I want to do here. ...and necessary illusions is fight back in this usually one-sided class war. And I think the only way to do that is to organize with others. And I think uh, organize with working class and normal people around the world. Working class and poor people. I think that part of what the ruling class does is try to divide poor and working class people and say, hey... Working class people are struggling. And you know why? It's because of the poor and the welfare and the measly, you know, uh, handouts that the government gives to poor and vulnerable people, which is it's it's next to nothing compared to some of the welfare states in Europe. It's so miserly and meager. It's incredible. These people are close to dying. You know, that's how measly our welfare system is. And they, they they want to distract us with that, you know, identity politics or, you know, right. trans issues and say, hey, you know, trans, trans person, you know, it's somehow, somehow, some way they're the enemy, you know, why don't get it, you know? So right. it's, it's not about the, the yacht, the Jeff Be, Be, uh, Bezos. And uh, I think he <laughs> made like, Uh, tens of billions of dollars in the last month or two and yet got fined 15 grand from osha like that's gonna hurt them you know it's not it's not those people that you know like elon musk that bought twitter 40 billion dollars with his spare change you know it's not the people with the yachts and it's not the people that are in control of these um real estate corporations buying up all all of the housing in america and then charging us outlandish rent you know um, it's not Bill Gates and his, uh, what hundreds or thousands of acres of farmland that he, he owns, you know, uh, it's the people that, uh, are, are begging on the street corner for, uh, a couple dollars so they can find a, find a way to get a meal later tonight. You know, th- that's the enemy and not the, not the people that obviously control, uh, the white house and the, the political parties with their donations right. that evade taxes and offshore their money and, tax havens yeah. and uh like in the virgin islands and panama we're supposed to we're supposed to fight amongst ourselves divide and conquer you know and, and, and again i think it's a one-sided class war and usually the working class lose it you know but i think over time especially i was kind of radicalized and i talked about this on other podcasts occupy wall street you know i think that Trump, uh-huh. a lot of people were radicalized by Trump. And I think a lot of people actually right now, I don't think it's a good thing at all. But the Supreme Court and their right wing agenda, I think it's radicalizing a lot of people in Gen Z. I don't think that there's many, gonna, there's many people in Gen Z and generations behind us that are going to vote for Republicans. It's pretty clear and obvious that the Republicans suck. Their policies are not, uh, not- supported, right? Uh, not that no. the Democrats are all that much better, but I think no. some of the stuff that the the Supreme court and the Republican agenda is radicalizing millennials and Gen Z voters. And that's a good thing ultimately in the long run, at least.
1: Yeah. 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 I I don't see a Gen Z putting up with, with anything that's not inclusive. Like they're, they are a very different generation. Like, it. you know, if you see them out, they're a unique bunch, you know, and, I respect it. Like that's who they are. And,
0: and I think the millennials were, were radicalized and I think the Gen Z is picking up just where we left off. And I think they're even going to be more radical uh, as, as they become uh, of age to vote and participate in society and get jobs. And so I think it's a good thing ultimately in the long run, you know, I think the millennials, we kind of started this fight. I, I think the, uh, a lot of people, the boomers and, and um, you know, the, Gen X, um, you know, they have a, definitely a different way of looking at the world than the millennials do, but I think there's always differences in generations. That doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people or anything like that. But I think that millennials, you know, and, and, and maybe people younger than us, we want a different society. We want change. Yeah. We want revolution. Uh-oh, the big R word. Yes,
1: Talk to exactly me about what
0: that. <laughs> what does revolution mean to you? You had mentioned in the bio that i uh, that I've read as the introduction to the show. What kind of revolution do you want? What's revolution mean to you?
1: I, I think that what would be really cool is if uh, at the same time in America, there were lots of big strikes going on such, but they got to be like big things like the truckers or the trains or whatever things that are going to disrupt everyday life for everybody. Um, for
0: I people to take notice. And for it to be covered by the media, you know, for it to have an impact.
1: In life, everyday capitalism, we need to start disrupting it more than just our words. And I'm preaching to myself, too. You know, we need to get out there. We need to do protests. And I've been thinking, you know, it's it's not always easy to get a protest together. But I've, I've been noticing how people um, are going out and just kind of standing in front of the courthouse or the jail or something. with one sign and then videotaping themselves and then putting it on social media. So then that gets retweeted a bunch of times. And all you had to do was go up and then say something, you know, like you didn't even have to organize. So I think there's so many ways um, that we need to fight back. But yeah, we need to get in the streets definitely. Um, But I think that's going to, there's going to be a spark. I do. I think what's going to happen is that something is going to spark. And then lots of people are going to be getting out. the streets This and- political
0: unrest is deep in society. There's a lot of people. So let's go back. Uh, I've said this in other podcasts, public institutions, trust in them uh, is at or near all time lows uh, in, in Congress, um, right. in the Supreme court. So the dissent, the dissidence is very deep in society. And like, look at uh, George Floyd or even occupy wall street. These organic, like the spark you talked about, these right. protests were organically started across the country minutes yeah. after these actions happened. You know, it's not like, oh, my gosh, you know, let's let's protest. We need a reason to do it. Like people were just right. like, I've had enough. I got to hit the streets. I got to right. show other people that I'm not going to take this. You know, I'm not going to take uh, oppression of black people and locking them up in prison disproportionately and violence right. and the police carrying out violence and just killing American Citizens uh, on the streets, choking them to death. you know I'm not going to take these greedy bankers getting their bonuses after they were just bailed out by the taxpayer, and now they're you know got billions and billions of dollars what the Occupy Wall Street was about, getting billions and billions of dollars of taxpayer money. these greedy bankers crashed the economy. Obama Great. bailed them out. Bush bailed them out. And then months later, they start taking their six figure bonuses, where most American people are struggling to live on a fraction of that, you know, and trying to feed their family and try to buy a home. And I looked at, I retweeted this earlier today. The car prices are higher than they've ever been uh, in history. I think that's not just, um, I think real prices, not just necessarily like, obviously, actual prices, of course, but like, they're, they're now cars are <laughs> getting to the point where. Uh, It's almost a luxury for working class people, and and, and it it can't be a luxury because we have to get to work. We have to we have to make money, and there's no public transportation in the United States. I mean, we don't have high speed rail. All of that was um, essentially that was a that was basically a social engineering project with big auto and big oil. We have an uh, oil based economy, and one of the things we do was d- dissolve all public transportation, high-speed rails and trains in this country. And what we did is provide uh, – t- taxpayers provided a subsidy. We make these roads all across the country, millions if not more miles of roads all across the country. That's a taxpayer expense, and that's essentially a direct subsidy to big auto and to big oil, which – and roads are even made from a byproduct of oil. All of these are a subsidy. We couldn't – what what – what car cars would not be useful if there weren't millions and millions of miles of roads throughout the country. So instead of putting millions and millions of miles of road uh, throughout the country and, you know, subsidizing these big oil companies to put gas in our cars, that's polluting our environment. How about mm-hmm. high speed rail and how about yeah. green energy technologies instead of this oil based economy? We need to terraform Earth. Otherwise, this uh, environmental crisis is going to take us out
1: i'm 100 percent with you like it's absurd like i work up at um a food pantry and so i see these these people and they're they're so poor and um uh, they're they're getting their food stamps cut off and what they already you, they're already there for food so they're already not able to get enough food and now actually the democrats have cut food stamps And you have or they made it. And they
0: they refuse to to cut the military industrial complex. They refuse to raise taxes on the wealthy. They refuse to raise taxes on corporations. But what they'll do is cut food stamps, cut Medicare, cut social security. It's ludicrous. It makes me angry. Jory, it makes me angry.
1: (laughs) And these people like that they expect them to go get jobs, but they don't have they can't afford a car. Like How are you supposed to get a job if you can't afford a
0: car? And again, there's not a functioning public transportation system in the United States. It's not like Europe where there's thousands and thousands of miles of train and high-speed rail. You know, I mean, it's just not available. It's available in some big cities uh, in in the United States. But what about people that live outside the cities? You know, again, suburban America, that was a social engineering project. We, we, We made suburbia... Because of roads, and we spread out, and along the along the way, we've also, you know, killed off animals. I mean, we're in an extinction uh, event right now. We're destroying habitats, all because we're spreading out. And I think um, how society should be designed, perhaps, would be, you know, maybe we're a little bit more concentrated in cities where they have all the all the resources that we. Need And hopefully we can lessen our footprint a little bit and have public transportations and so that we can maybe diversify the environment so that we don't have suburbia everywhere. We don't have just farms everywhere. I think we need natural habitats for uh, animals to live in too. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think I'm kind of getting off in a tangent here, but... I guess when we start talking about this kind of stuff, I try to think of the long run of how society should be, you know, structured and designed. And that's what I mean by revolution. I mean, we, so first off future generations don't get a vote in in politics and neither does the environment. Neither do the animals, neither do the animals that have gone extinct in the last hundred years since the industrialization of, um, you know, humankind.
1: Yeah, I know it's, it's really disturbing how, um, I, I'm a big believer in that, especially with my faith, that we are supposed to be take take care of the earth. That you know, that's like the beginning of Genesis. Like God said, like here, you are the steward of this earth, and we're not we're not being good stewards at all. But we can't help it because it's the top. Like what? A lot of times, it's like all we can really do is continue to speak out on it and protest and you know, what we're doing because it's the top, it's the 1% that they won't stop. And then I constantly bring up that the military industrial complex is the number one polluter, the number one polluter in the entire world, you know, like because they have think about all the tanks and all the gas they use in the tanks and uh, there's like the, the bombs and all the chemicals, and all that. So nobody ever brings that up, barely ever, you know, they're always talking about the oil but but a lot of times people don't connect that the, the military industrial complex are stealing oil from overseas so that they can come home and sell it to us at the and they make the profit basically
0: think about the billions of dollars we spend on bombs and destruction uh just bombing innocent civilians and you know possibly even like infrastructure i read a Article The other day about um, in, uh, civilian installations that we've destroyed, including Clinton, I think he bombed a pharmaceutical plant that killed um, a, a handful of people. But the repercussions killed thousands and thousands of people, I believe, in Africa and in the global south, because they weren't able to access um, medicine for diseases and famine and that sort of thing. So some of these actions have, you know, big repercussions that weren't directly a, a result of, you know, bombing uh, this type of plant. Um, cause, uh, but, but what I wanted to get to is just think about if, <laughs> the billions of dollars we spent on the military industrial complex and bombs and artillery that destroys and kills people and animals and Ew. everything else in its path. Think about if we would direct these resources to building a better society to building. Yeah. I remember, um, I had the, Uh, Pale horse on here And he had talked about if the military budget Was put toward the homeless crisis We have in the United States that Everyone would would be able to um, afford I think a 1.4 million dollar home That's pretty nice You know, instead of blowing up And destroying the planet And and killing innocent people Why don't we direct this money and resources And effort toward a, a goal That might be a positive for society Not clearly a negative Constant war is not a good thing for anybody, right?
1: Yeah but, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we, we all need to connect on the fact that our government is 100% corrupt, no matter how you feel about it. And the, 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 no matter what you want to call the system, we call it capitalism. No matter what you want to call it, the system sucks. That's why we are all, you know, that's I'm why. I'm with you.
0: The system you. sucks.
1: <laughs> so, that's that. that. <laughs>
0: It's All right, let's do. Let's get into some. Uh, let's get into some political philosophy, some ideology. We're going. We're getting right back into it. Um, we kind of take little breaks in between the podcast, and I try to stitch it together as a good kind of, um, you know, fluid conversation. I just informed my guest Jory. We just went for forty minutes on political ideology. And uh, that was cut off because I didn't hit the record button. Because I'm a dumb dumb, so I apologize. So we're gonna try to we're gonna try to finish up here strong. We had a little bit of talk on uh, political philosophy. Apparently, that was all prep. That was not recorded. So, anyways, we're getting right back into it. We're gonna go for another maybe 20 minutes or so, or however however long. But let's talk about capitalism. What does that mean to you? We already discussed it a little bit. Let's come Let's come right back into it. Uh, let's hit on the points we already discussed. Um, what does capitalism mean to you?
1: So to me, I kind of bring it back to my faith where it says like the root of um, the love of money is the root of all evil. So I kind of think that capitalism is literally based on the love of money, which is greed. And I I really do think that it is kind of the root of all evil, even in the entire world, because uh, the West is, is ex- capitalist West. People are exploiting um, the whole, not just Americans, but even more so, like you said, the global South, where they, they're they able to go in there and, and pay people 60 cents for their an hour for their labor. And this is a common thing for billionaires, whether it's celebrities or CEOs. And some of our favorite celebrities participate in this stuff. And we don't even realize it because everybody's so brainwashed. Right. But yeah, I think that um, to me it, it means exploitation. It means, it means unhealthy competition. Um, it means that only a few get to be on top while the rest kind of suffer in order for them to be on top.
0: So we talked a little bit about the political system, and I think capitalism involves the political system and the economic system. Basically, in capitalism, uh, you have an economic system where corporations are the vehicles that the rich and powerful use to exploit the rest of the world. Of course, these transnationals are, you know, in some ways based, and many of them are based in the United States, but their path of destruction and exploitation is international. So, yeah, they find, you know, countries where, um, like workers are even more exploited than American workers and pay them pennies on the dollar, you know, to make like, for example, Nike in the shoes that, uh, you know, many of us wear. And, um, you know, so right. instead, of, instead of paying uh, American workers um, low wages, because I think there's been um, really no gain in wages since the 1970s when Reagan deregulated the financial system, um, um, real wages haven't increased in, in, in decades and it barely even – keeps up with inflation um, so we had talked about it that got cut off but 725 an hour is the minimum wage in the United States right now so obviously it's a little bit more than pennies on the dollar that maybe even more uh, exploited workers in the global south might um, get for for their exploitation but 725 an hour is not a is not a living living wage it's not uh, a wage that anyone could live on or put food on the table yeah. or buy clothes or even get a, a single bedroom apartment certainly never buy a house on 25 an hour so right. um and i think right. a society based on greed and exploitation um self-gain self-interest is is doomed you know so um
1: 100 and and it, 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 the exploitation never stops it's it's of the. i think we've talked about this it's of the animals it's of the the forest, it's of the waters, you know, like, they, they will continue to exploit the the planet. and, And that is really how capitalism might kill us all. (laughs)
0: no and for sure like the environmental crisis and that's all stuff we we, uh we're talking about on the uh i guess that's the hidden that's the the secret podcast that no one will ever listen to ever you know that's (laughs) it'll go down in history we said so many great things and no one will ever hear Who knows? it's always a secret but the the lost podcast well i have to to call it that the lost podcast but on the lost podcast the last 40 (laughs) minutes that we talked we had talked about that um, you know future generations don't get a vote in this political system. We had talked about democracy and the right wing attempt is always to stifle democracy. You had talked about mob mentality. That's always an argument against um, you know democracy. But the right wing you know tried to take over the country on January sixth or take over the government. They used the mob to do so. So it's always you have to you have to point out their hypocrisies and say that you know that they, they don't like mob mentality. What did they try to do on the, on the, on Capitol Hill that day, you know, on January 6th. And I think we're deluded with propaganda about the Trump and all these sorts of things. Uh, and neither of us think Trump is going to do any jail time. And this is all stuff we talked about on the Lost podcast. I just want to kind of set the stage again, but let's go back to, um, the environment, like the environmental crisis. We're in a mass extinction event. We must, um, we must change the uh, economy, you know, uh, we must change the the way society is structured or we're all doomed. You know, the environment is teetering on the brink of total collapse, you know, and if the environment collapses, we're not going to be around to see, to see it. And future generations don't have a vote. Neither does the environment in our political system. And we had talked about the exploitation and even genocide of animals. We're both sympathetic to the Um, To to vegetarianism and veganism, Um, of course, the the rights of animals are are slim to none. I mean, chickens, they spend their entire lives in these tiny little coops. They're fed and they poop and that's basically their life. And then they're slaughtered for us to eat. And then let's go to medical science where we basically torture animals to advance science and and medicine. And I think um, I don't know a better way to do things. You know, I think that uh, if we're really going to try to advance the sciences and the the medicines – that might be a component of how we do so. I certainly don't uh, support torturing human beings, but we have to talk yeah. about these things that, yeah, we literally torture animals uh, to to educate ourselves about medicine and, and biology oh. and science and um, industrialized killing of animals to put meat on the table for many Americans and people around the world to eat, you know? So,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah I think I'm there's... against, like, I, I think I, I am against, like, the – um experimenting on animals because they don't really have a choice in the matter and human beings do like i think what needs to happen is that you know human beings need to know every single thing that could happen to them and then make a decision whether or not they want to be experimented on but at least they had a decision rather than like dr fauci that's so-called experience experimented on puppies or dogs or something like that like lots of them you know that makes me really disturbed like if you i mean i mean I, I do think there's a difference though between test experimenting on like a mouse and experimenting on like a monkey like freaking elon musk literally killed monkeys with the
0: Neuralink, like, right right yeah
1: trying to put chips in their heads like things like that like these are exotic animals like they're not like ants or mice. You know what I mean. Like, I, I think they
0: should have rights, and I think there should be standards. But I'm not saying I think that we should abolish all medical and scientific experimentation on animals. Although I would definitely limit it. I'm not. I'm not an expert. I am in healthcare. I'm not a medical doctor, but. Um, I think that that is one way that we have been able to make advances in science. So I think we need to make yeah. it much more humane and give animals many more rights. And in terms of like, um, you know, the developed and intelligent animals like monkeys and dolphins and, and orcas, which do definitely do not belong in captivity. I have a, I kind of have a problem with, uh, zoos too. You know I mean? I think there are some positives to, to studying animals and that sort of thing, but I don't think that they should be kept in zoos. So I I would say abolish those places. I mean, I guess it's nice for people that maybe have never seen a giraffe before, but I don't think that that is the way a giraffe should spend its life in captivity. You know what I mean? Even though, of course, Capitalism is leading to the destruction of the ecosystem and the environment. These places where animals live naturally um, are slowly being destroyed. You know, there's less and less of them. The biodiversity is is and the ecosystem in general is collapsing, and it's because of humans and and because of at least. Capitalism in practice. Of, of course, these people talk about capitalism, but they want a big government. They want a powerful government with police and the military. They also want to t- to taxpayers to subsidize, and that's part of what the def- uh, the Pentagon is. It's a it's a funnel of money of taxpayer money to private high tech industry under the guise of defense. So they say it's right. defensive, but the United States is not under a threat of attack from Mexico and Canada right. and on other borders. Um, it's, it's oceans. So it's, it's fear politics, you know, to get us to, uh, you know, to get us to subsidize the military industrial complex in our ridiculous right. $900 billion, maybe a trillion plus dollar budget when we th- consider money that we're not even told about, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's so bloated. Things. It's out of control. It's out of control. Yeah.
1: we, We really shouldn't be spending money on things like that. Like, that's only helping the rich, period, end of story. It's helping the 1%. It's not... And wars in general, I am completely anti-war. Like, I think that they are almost always, if not always, a racket for the rich. Yep. And that's what they are. And it's so disturbing if you think about it, because, you know, you've got these young men joining the military and women too, thinking that they're you know, going to have this great exploration of life, you know, and getting all these like benefits that they won't give us right. because of that issue. Cause they want to save it for, if you fight for them, if you, if you're, if you'll throw yourself in the meat grinder for us, we'll give you healthcare. Well, guess what? You don't need healthcare if you're in the meat grinder, if you're dead. You know? and the
0: same thing for, uh, for education, you know, they, they, they don't want student loan forgiveness, even though, Many politicians and and billionaires and and millionaires and business owners in the capitalist class got billions of dollars in triple P loans forgiven, but they don't. They don't want to give us. uh, They don't want to forgive the the trillion dollar that what two two point something trillion dollar student loan crisis. You know, and that's part of what the military industrial complex uses. They use it. That hey, we'll give you healthcare and we'll give you education if you if you fight for us and advance our imperial agenda when if we lived in a more socialist society now let's talk about what socialism means to you and that sort of thing but if we lived in a more socialist society where it wasn't centered around greed and self-interest and imperial exp- exploitation of the of world and the global South. Um, we would all have a better society where we wouldn't have to go overseas and, and kill some villager in a far off land. That's under note. That's not threatening the United States mainland. And in fact, yeah. the, the, the in fact the united states mainland has not been in jeopardy since the war of 1812 when they burned the british burned the white house down uh japan attacked a uh, japan attacked hawaii which was a colony at the time which we stole at gunpoint so the united states mainland it's been hundreds of years since it's ever been threatened and yet we still have these uh international military campaigns abroad which are aggressive in nature. They're not defensive right. by any means. And, 100%. I, and yeah, the department of defense used to be called, uh, you know, the department of uh, war. And, and that's because in the old days, you know, they're a lot more honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it's propagandized, but um, let's get okay. to it. i ramble a little bit. And I, of course the last podcast, we talked about all this kind of stuff, but let's get back to this political ideology and socialism. Uh, are you a socialist and what does socialism mean to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely would consider myself a socialist in the meaning of, I believe that the workers should own the means of production. And if there are no really means of production, then the workers should have a vote in big decisions, you know, like they should be making big decisions together. So I think one thing that that we were talking about earlier is that really um, democracy and socialism are kind of interchangeable.
0: Yeah, I think that, that is a lot of the stuff we talked about on the lost podcast and again that's gonna be the that's gonna be the title for this whole podcast that we're on today so thanks again for your patience you've, you've given me so much time uh, today but let's talk about um, the anarchist revolution I wanted to talk about a little bit of that because we had mentioned it again in the lost podcast that we'll never be able to uh, to hear <laughs> or listen or no one will but but um, yeah, the anarchist revolution uh, in Spain in the 1930s when the fascist states of Europe were kind of being assembled, you know, in Italy and Germany and that sort of thing. The one thing that the um, the Western democracies, in quotes here, uh, the Nazis and the communists wanted to destroy was the anarchist revolution. And that's because the anarchist revolution was about self-government, um, uh, worker-owned and organized uh, workplaces and factories and and, um, you know, they wanted to abolish the old system and the status quo. And one of their um, talking points or whatever, one of their slogans was no gods, no masters. And that's how I end every podcast. That's my favorite time period, the 1930s, uh, Spain. That's also where Mondragon, which I don't think is any coincidence, the largest co-op in the world. Mondragon is a worker owned and operated and managed co-op. And that's international. It's got billions of dollars in assets Um, hundreds of thousands of workers or at least tens of thousands of workers. It's structured and democratically organized. One thing that Mondragon does differently that corporations don't do, which I oppose all corporations and hierarchies, I'd like to get rid of them and replace them again with co-ops. But Mondragon, you vote on the manager. The manager just doesn't hire you. And then all of a sudden, you know, they make more than you and they make all the decisions. There's a lot more democratic participation. And they actually vote on the managers. And then there's also wage ceilings. So I think the average is around five to one. The highest paid worker in Mondragon or manager or whatever can't make more than five times the lowest paid. So we had mentioned about the 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 um, minimum wage in the United States. It's a travesty. It's poverty wages. So. Um, yeah. You know, nobody can live on that. And I had said on another podcast, uh, I have no power, you know, whether it's 25 or $50 an hour, $100 an hour, it doesn't matter. We must raise it, you know, because you can't put food on the table or buy clothes or shelter or housing, you know, on 7 25 an hour. So, I mean, it's part of what I want to do is reform the capitalist system and make it better. You know, and and Mm -hmm. we can do that through maybe more benign institutions and a higher minimum wage and better standards for workers. But that still Mm -hmm. doesn't get into the belly of the beast. You know, the systemic problems we have with with capitalism, which is private ownership, you know, 1% of the population owning uh, the majority of the assets, the next 10% Mm -hmm. owning the rest, and we fight for the crumbs at the bottom. You know, so that that doesn't – so a a higher minimum wage and more workers' rights doesn't necessarily – dissolve the capitalist, um, you know, machine that, that we currently find ourselves in, but making it a little bit more benign would be a good thing. And having a welfare state, like the Nordic countries, the Scandinavian countries do, they have much better workers rights and more time off and healthcare and education. Um, but I think what socialism means to me in the long run is what you had mentioned, uh, worker, workplaces owned and managed by the workers you know we don't have we don't have a hierarchy of people telling us what to do we do it ourselves so that's what socialism means to me ultimately and i identify as an anarchist and i like this quote that all socialists all anarchists are socialists, but not necessarily all socialists are anarchists. So socialism, mm-hmm. there's kind of two branches: one, the anti-statist branch, which would be the socialist libertarians or the anarchists, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into American ideology about libertarianism and what it means. That's a, that's for a whole nother discussion. But the classical libertarian is basically, you know, opposed the state essentially. Uh, And then there's the pro-statist branch, which was communism, which uh, I think the Soviet Union was uh, not a great place. Uh, They had dictators and a very powerful class of bureaucrats that ruled over the subjects in the Soviet Union, although they had some things that were good for workers and some good social programs. But ultimately, I don't want an all-powerful state, whether that's a state run by the capitalists or whether it's a state run by the bureaucrats in the commissar class. So ultimately what I want is democratically owned and operated institutions similar to Mondragon, like co-ops. So I think that, Mm -hmm. and that's the economic system because of course, if you're in control of the economic system in a capitalist system, you buy the government, you buy the politicians, because you have that, you have the capital to do so.
1: Yeah. That's what people that constantly say, Capitalism is free market. It's a free market. It's a free market, and I'm like, so call. They always want you to call it crony capitalism. But I'm like, listen, think about it. Like, it's always gonna go crony because, like. You know, the rich are going to buy the government. That's how capitalism works. People with
0: wealth and power use their wealth and power to gain more wealth and power, you know, and that's why the inequality has been skyrocketing. And in fact, we're now in a a state of human history worse than the Gilded Age where there's more wealth inequality than there ever existed in any other time period in history. And that's not a good thing. And if we don't seriously uh, address it, it's going to wipe us all out, including the environmental crisis, you know, because the people that are running the world are psychopaths. They're destroying the environment. They're killing innocent (laughs) citizens. If we don't, if there's not a democratic uh, takeover uh, of, uh, of institutions in, in the world and if workers don't unite in class consciousness and solidarity, we're all in trouble big time.
1: 100%. And that's, that's really my message is that I'm not like, I have to win this argument. Like you know, but I'm more like capitalism is hurting you too. Capitalism is hurting all of the poor and working class, which is at least 90% of us, probably 99% of us, yeah. you know? So that, that's kind of my message is like, we ultimately are our humanity. I believe is one um, really truly. I believe we are one ultimately. So what you do somehow can impact everybody around you. And same with me. So, and then how would even our thoughts, like we're always beating each other different thoughts, you know, so our consciousness is almost one consciousness. Um, And so if you, and I always try to say like, like you can't, I can't hurt you without hurting myself. So I compare mm-hmm. it to like soldiers going to, to war and, and killing someone and they come home and they have extreme PTSD and they can't sleep at night. It's because you can't hurt someone else without hurting yourself because we are one. And, um, that's kind of what my, my message is. We are, we are one, but we are also sovereign beings. And we should be able. We don't need kings. We don't even no, really need no. presidents, you know. Like in, in need- America,
0: we overthrew the king and queen and replaced it. There, it's been replaced. and It's not like we chose it uh, with corporate executives, CEOs, you know. So it was sense, just a right? different, just different rulers, you know. They they wear suits and what and drive mean? limos and they're in corporate boardrooms. They're not in king. They're not in uh, castles anymore. But not much has changed, right? Yeah, no, it
1: really hasn't. And I think that 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 is like the struggle of humanity that that's why like you know I'll go back to the bible stories of like exodus you know where moses goes and he sets his people free you know like so they're fighting the exact same battle back then that we're fighting now you know and we're trying to figure out to the rich how to say you know let my people go but we have, to have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have to have solidarity first and and i i believe that includes the 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 rational right not the extremists that are racist and hate lgbtq people but the people that are on are just conservative republicans maybe libertarians that they're just they don't hate they're not you know they're not just regular people they don't hate anyone there's regular people um so my goal is to find those people because honestly i see more hope for those people the rational right than the the and what liberalism has become yeah and you
0: know, to I me think- uh, let's talk about liberalism i wanted to mention this because i don't i think this was on the last podcast but to me i'm very conservative as it relates to human rights equality justice all those sorts of things you know i think uh, healthcare is a right i think education is a right so it d- d- depends on how you use the ideology i think conservatism is just basically protecting a certain system in place um mm-hmm. you can use it for good or evil you know it could be a good thing uh, like human rights and justice, it could be a bad thing if it's conservative to the military industrial complex, the police state or mass incarceration. So as it relates to human rights, though, I consider myself a classical conservatist. Um, right. I think that and I think the liberal theory of the Enlightenment era is something I still like to read and look back on. And I still find very interesting things from the philosophers of a bygone era that still apply today. And I'm all about truth and knowledge. And I like those sorts of things. Um, I wanted to hit on this that you had said about the soldiers that come back with PTSD. No question about it. I think that those people are victims. You know, they're, they're the victims of the military Damn. industrial complex. They're indoctrinated and they're carrying out an agenda um, of the ruling mm-hmm. class that they probably aren't even aware of. And the rich and powerful, they don't fight in wars. Their children don't fight in wars. It's typically the exploited and the poor and, and vulnerable people and the children of those people that fight in wars, not the rich and the powerful or their children, right?
1: Right, and like a lot of the a lot of people on the right, their kids, fought in these wars, so that's why I'm trying to tell like people that are rational like the reason your kids are dying overseas is because of of imperialism is because the the agenda of the wealthy is still happening, and here you are defending something that's hurting you and your kids.
0: And that's the fear of politics. I mean, America's not under threat. I mean, China... I'm sorry. China's not a threat to us. They're thousands of miles away. You know, I, I think that we're provocative to them. I mean, what are we doing in the South China Sea? You know, same same goes, though, for just in general. Like, we haven't... The United States hasn't been under under threat. Uh, the mainland, at least, hasn't since the War of 1812. Mexico's not invading anytime soon. Canada's not invading anytime soon. We got oceans on both sides. So, it's fear of politics. It's fear of politics that... uh Try to whip up uh, the population into a jingoist, you know, pro-flag, patriotic. You know, who are we going to invade next? Frenzy, you know. But it's it's yeah. it's n- little more than fear to- politics and the manufacturing of consent. It has nothing to do with our defense. We're completely safe in America with privileges that no one else, many other people around the world, couldn't even imagine. You know, and that's what we're trying to do with our platform and our privilege here right now is try to spread these ideas and educate people. Uh, I am for revolution, and we had discussed that. I think we need to. I think the revolution for it to occur, it must be within the system. That means running for office or trying to support someone to get in office with, you know, socialist Mm or leftist values that, you know, kind of change the country for the better. It must be done inside the system and outside the system is what I'm trying to do now. You know, I'm independent media trying to have a discussion with people that I view things similar about to try to get different ideas out there that people might have not heard before and certainly wouldn't hear on CNN or Fox News, you know.
1: Yeah, I honestly, I, I I struggle with with the idea of being able to change a system from within, because once people get in that system, it seems like it almost always changes them, corrupts them.
0: Yeah. It can corrupt them. But I think that I, I like Bernie Sanders. I know a lot of people give him a hard, hard time on leftist Twitter. I like AOC. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people give her a hard time. The squad, they're all we've got. There's no doubt they could do things differently. But I certainly um, uh, I certainly agree more with what Bernie Sanders is trying to do than what people like Ron DeSantis or Ted Cruz are trying to do. You know what I mean? So if I, if I have a choice between Bernie Sanders and any Republican, I'm certainly going to choose Bernie. But yeah, there's some things differently I think he could do and also some things he's supporting that I might not support. Like the proxy war in Ukraine. I mean, I think Ukraine is the victims here. But I think think we are using Ukrainians as cannon fodder. And like you said in the pre-call, Lindsey Graham or something said, you know, we're going to fight this war down to the very last Ukrainian. And that's for an imperial agenda. We're just trying to weaken our greatest political and military enemy in Russia. And we're doing that over piles of dead bodies, piles of Ukrainian people that are dying every single day. What we should be doing in America is using our power and prestige uh to try to, to negotiate peace and diplomacy not a proxy war that's continuing to escalate every single day over bodies of dead ukrainians
1: 100% so let's get into
0: some lighter stuff or you go ahead go ahead you had some stuff to say go ahead um no let's
1: let's get into the lighter stuff let's get into now. some
0: lighter stuff let's let's finish with some fun stuff <laughs> Uh, Again, some of the lost podcast stuff, we got 10 minutes. We're not going to go any more than 10 minutes. This is it. So what's art to you? You had talked about art. What is it to you? What is this art generally?
1: Yeah. So um, I really started doing art a lot when I was um, recovering from uh, prescription opioids Um, because when you activate your front mind, it take it immediately your frontal lobe. It immediately takes you out of your survival brain, and addiction is all about one hundred percent survival brain. Like you don't. By the end of it, you know you're not showering. You don't care. Everything is about survival. You don't care how, how you hurt people. You know, like everything is about survival when you're when you're into addiction. So I started using art in order to get out of my survival brain and into my frontal lobe. And, um, my art is, is a lot more like funky, like, like in the back of the wall. Like I know we're, we're not going to be able to see this, but, um, like I paint, I paint furniture. I, I just painted like a bunch of wooden earrings. Like, um, that's kind of what I do. I kind of do like funky art.
0: It allows you to express your creativity and it sounds like it's therapeutic for you as well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's very healing for me. And yes, it gives me a, a creative um, expression. You know, it, it's not always been my, my favorite art, which I believe is the art is writing. I think writing is what I'm best at. But um, my father died a couple years ago and I was I had a book completely finished. And all I had to do is go and edit it one more time. And my my dad died. And I just can't look at it right now yet. Like, I, and I stopped blogging too. Like, I just can't right now, you know, and I'm, I'm waiting for that inspiration to come back. But, um, and I believe I will write a book. That's, that's a life goal of mine. I believe I will.
0: What was the book on and what do you want to write a book
1: on? Um, well, the book was a lot about like my story of growing up in, um, as a woman wanting to be in ministry. Um, and then, you know, in the evangelical church, not being able to find a job and how, um, that kind of led to like my isolation and and pain. And then that pain and isolation kind of led to, to addiction issues. And so I, it's kind of, it's, it's going to be called something like breaking free because it's kind of about breaking free from, from the traps of life that we're born into,
0: a story of liberation. That's awesome. I'm all about 100%, it. Liberation yeah. theology. I'm all but about it. it. That's, that's big in uh, South fact. America, too. I think as well, they were trying to escape American oppression, liberation theology, a lot of that centered on the priests of, in Latin America and around the church. And for some reason in America, the church is a center for right-wing ideology you know, and conservatism.
1: It, it really is. And it doesn't have to be, though, I does it? It, it does. doesn't have it to be. much. Yeah, like, I don't really go to church a lot because because it's I don't agree with a lot of the highly religious stuff. Like, I believe in, in the spirit of things, you know what I mean? Like, when somebody says, like, this is the way it has to be, I, I step back. Because no matter what the philosophy is, whether it's Christianity, communism, whatever, like, if you get too stringent about things, it becomes legalistic, and it's not fun anymore. So I think if you remain in the spirit of of things, like for for example, in Christianity, the spirit of Christianity is love. So if you say if you, everything you do, if you question, like, am I in the spirit of things here, you know, then I'm being like God. But if I'm not in the spirit of things, you know, that you're becoming too stringent. And I've seen that with not just Christianity and with different religions. But also among people that have different um, political philosophies, you know, where it's like I've lost some friends on Twitter because they were trying to force me to believe in in mandates for the vaccine. And um, no matter how you feel about the vaccine, I don't believe in mandates for the vaccine. I don't believe you should mandate anyone um, to put anything in their body. Just like I don't believe that's why I'm pro-choice because my body, my choice. Yeah, body so, autonomy.
0: That's a good thing, you know.
1: Autonomy. Especially so, yeah. if it's
0: not interfering with my life. You know, if it's something you do that doesn't interfere with your life, whether it's your sexual orientation or whether it's taking a vaccine, I think you should have the independence and freedom to do that. Right. The liberty, right. you know, the liberty to, to to do that. We shouldn't be oppressed by a government or a corporation or anything.
1: Yeah. And, and some leftists were all about the mandates. And so, um, I, I, didn't, I'm not judgmental towards them. They were judgmental towards me because I said, I don't believe in the mandates and they literally were like shaming me and stuff. And I was like, this is not the portion of the leftist I want to hang out with. Cause I want to hang out with people that were built. We build each other up. We lift each other up, not shame on you. You have to agree with me, right. you know? open-mindedness
0: you know open to different opinions i think the worst possible world would be uh, a world where everyone thought and did things the same you know what i mean that would be awful (laughs) i don't want to live in that kind of world so i think having differences and opinions and being able to talk about different things and that's why i'm what I'm trying to do with this podcast I have a lot of ideas and I want to get them out there but also I'm not done learning so I want to have people on here that's teaching me things and of course you've taught me so much today and just your story and everything and the way you go about things and the way you view the world so I find this very very valuable you know and I want to keep doing it and that's That's part of what the idea is that we aren't getting circulated by the mainstream media and why I had to start an independent media podcast to go outside the mainstream to kind of get these, get these thoughts and things out there. But I think having disagreement is completely fine. It's completely okay. The worst thing would be complete conformity where everyone says and believes the same thing. And that'd be just, again, a terrible boring world that I would want no part of. I think it's okay to be different. It's good. That's a good thing.
1: Yeah. We could not grow in a world like that. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I've said this or not, but I, I know we're getting to the end here, but I believe humanity is a, is of one consciousness. Ultimately, we're feeding each other ideas all the time. So what, what someone does, you know, what you think, what you do, it actually does affect the whole. That's why people care so much about what people think because they know that, that what someone thinks can turn into an action. And they don't if they don't agree with it, they don't want you to even think that because we know that we can manifest what we think about long enough, what we focus on long enough. So I believe we are all one. I believe we are all um, brothers and sisters. And, you know, even if we get into arguments and things, there are people like on Twitter that I've I've unblocked and forgiven because, you know, that's the kind of spirit, spirit of the spirit of my my faith that jc talked
0: about that didn't he didn't jc talk about forgiveness that's a good thing isn't it
1: yeah i think he might have mentioned it <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm not a i'm not a biblical scholar or philosopher but i again I'm, I'm not even religious i'm agnostic but i think jc said a lot of great things that maybe no one in the republican party has ever read you know at least it doesn't seem I'm like about they it.
1: have it's very concerning yes
0: <laughs> so we got not too much time left here What's your inspiration? What's your motivation? What kind of change do you want to inspire in the world? What, what do you, what's important to you?
1: Um, I think a lot of what you said, you know, equality, justice, um, freedom, you know, we're really the principles that we live, that we that America is supposed to be about, you know, like that's really like the, the kind of world that I would like to help create Um but, my heart is definitely for for the for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for the disabled, for the weak, for everybody that's that's at the very, very bottom. Like that's the people that I really want to not only encourage but help lift up with my platform that may not may not have anybody else that would help them that way.
0: I try to give the guests the last several minutes. we got like maybe two minutes left here to just plug whatever they want and where can they find you uh, if they are interested in some of your ideas today? So what would you like to plug? What would you like to tell everyone listening out there and how can they find you?
1: Okay. So uh, I'm mostly just right on Twitter right now, uh, which is now called X, <laughs> which is hilarious, but um, you can find me at Jory Micah, at Jory Micah, which is J O R Y M I C A H. And then um, I do have a website, jorymica.com where you can kind of look through a lot of my past thoughts Um, but just keep in mind that I have not really wrote on that since 2020 so a lot of the things that are on there don't really represent me as much anymore so if you really want to know jory right now um, come on twitter and find me
0: Awesome. Anything else, uh, anything else you want to say or any platform you'd like to make mention of or any project that you're working on before we sign off here today?
1: Uh, I will say that um, my life goal, my life goal is to finish a book, which is something I've been working on for for years now. Um, And also, I just want to thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Our conversation I feel like I've I've grown. Like I feel like you, you could be you could be a teacher.
0: <laughs> and that lost podcast, it's gonna go down in history. That was maybe the best forty minutes I've ever had on necessary illusions and no one's gonna ever listen to it. But I appreciate your time today, Jory. It was a pleasure. We'll, have to, was, we'll definitely have to do this again sometime. We had so much to talk about and we didn't even get to everything. So it was a, it was a pleasure I'm
1: so for it. Let's do it. All
0: right. Thanks so much for coming on necessary illusions. Jory, have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you.
0: That's going to be a wrap for this episode of the podcast. I want to thank Jory for her great discussion today. I learned a lot. And I think her story is very inspiring to those looking to overcome addiction and oppression. She was so generous with her time today as we had a lost podcast in the middle where 40 or so minutes went unrecorded. But she was a trooper and completely undeterred and we were able to press on seamlessly. I tried to edit it and stitch it together to sound like one long fluid discussion. But I want to be transparent and let everyone know that we did have some technical difficulties in the middle, which I apologize and take responsibility for. I think the last podcast we had together would have went down in the history books as the greatest podcast of all time. But unfortunately for us, and for anyone else listening, nobody will ever hear it again. However, I think what we did record was still pretty cool, so thanks for listening anyways. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out! Oh,